this is something we are not taught in school. We're not taught to be intrinsically motivated to save ideas just because they're interesting to us. Just because we find them surprising or valuable or moving or they go against our current beliefs, right? And so that's what I teach in the course is how to listen to that. It's like the voice of intuition, that voice of intuition that says, oh, this idea, this quote, this takeaway is important. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Lewis and Kyle show. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Tiago Forte. Tiago is one of the best known productivity bloggers, YouTubers, content creators on the internet. He is the creator of the curriculum called Building a Second Brain, which will be a book very soon as well. He teaches that primarily as a cohort-based course that over a thousand students have taken, teaching them how to create really robust personal knowledge management systems to help them create better in whatever their domain is. I've been a reader of Tiago's for well over three years, probably many more. I just don't want to lie and get the number wrong. I know it's at least three. In this conversation, we talk about what the heck personal knowledge management is and why Tiago's built his entire professional career around it. We discuss the second brain system, how you create a second brain, how that's similar to Legos. That helps people understand it quite well. We discuss the courses that he takes himself, one of them being linking your thinking. We discuss digital organization tips in general, how to be more productive on the computer and minimize waste in your day. We discuss being on the Peace Corps in Ukraine and a whole lot more. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I was very excited to bring Tiago on the podcast. He was truly on the list of people, myself and Kyle wrote out on day one when we didn't even have an episode published. And uh, it's a treat that we finally made it happen. And I'm excited for you to listen to it. So I will switch over now. Tiago, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. You've been on the list probably since day one, maybe before as the people we've really wanted to talk to on this show. So thank you for being here. Very excited to be chatting today. I'm super excited to be here. I'm, this is going to be fun. My first question for you, if you had kind of just the power to snap your fingers and make every school child in America learn one of three things, like really good nutrition advice, really good personal finance, or really good personal knowledge management, which of the three <laughs> would you pick and why? Oh, it's such a such an easy answer. Um, I mean, my <laughs> preference would be for all of them if that was an option. But if I had to pick one, uh, I feel like it'd be knowledge management. I mean, knowledge management is going to be the way that they acquire knowledge and wisdom about the other two, uh, because there's so much information you need to know and think about related to health, so much information related to finances. Those are actually two of the central uses that I use my second brain for. Um, but I, I just have an awful memory and an extremely short attention span. So like any advice someone gave me about health or finances, unless I had a, you know, a note-taking system, it would quickly go in one ear, not the other. So I'm, I am for knowledge management. <laughs> Do you have like a robust definition of personal knowledge management? Is that a term that, you know, you take credit for publicizing, modernizing, like bringing into kind of the collective consciousness? Like what's the, what's the answer there? Definitely not. Def I can't take a, an iota of credit for, for creating it. And I, I largely see myself as just getting this, it's like this undercurrent, you know, this practice that has been existed really in some form for centuries, you know, you can go back to commonplace books and the, you know, during the enlightenment, during all going back to the Renaissance, Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks, you know, the artists would keep, you can go even further back to Greek and Roman times, which is where the word commonplace actually comes from. Uh, so you can go back as far as you want, but it's always been reserved for the select few, right? It was reserved for politicians giving speeches or writers or researchers or scientists because they were the only ones. I mean, there was only 1% of society or less that was responsible for knowledge. You know, gathering knowledge, generating knowledge, documenting knowledge, disseminating knowledge. But now that's practically everyone. I talked to truck drivers who have, have you ever seen the amount of information truck drivers have to keep track of? They have these like manuals. They have, you know, these checklists they have to go through to check the, the trucks. They have to think about routes. They have to think about contingencies and what, what to do in an emergency. If a truck driver has a need for knowledge management, I think practically everyone in society from children to retired people also do, regardless of their profession, regardless of their stage of life. And that's kind of what I see my role as is, is like spreading the gospel, spreading the word from this tiny little niche of people to everyone else in, in the world, hopefully. I think you've been, you know, I think a lot of people who spend a lot of time online kind of overestimate the 
kind of penetration of these ideas into the mainstream. But I think you know, you've been very instrumental in, like you said, evangelizing these ideas and a lot of people discover them through you. And of course, people like have some conceptual framework for it's important to, you know, retain the things I learned, but they haven't really, you know, fully assigned the power of naming to it and systematized it and like thought about it consciously and like engineer processes for it. So kind of the, you know, I think it's a very catchy, right? Easy to remember system that you've publicized is the, the second brain system. You have a book on it, you have a course on it. Uh, what is, I guess the, the elevator pitch of the second brain system, and then we'll choose some areas to, to dive into and get more depth on. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a trusted place outside your head, beyond the, the confines, the limits of your skull, where you can save, preserve for the long term, your best ideas, insights, realizations, stories, excerpts that you've taken, quotes you've taken from outside sources, books, articles, podcasts like this one, notes from courses you've taken, seminars you've attended. I mean, the diversity of sources of knowledge, both from the external world and internally, our own thoughts and ideas, is so vast. A second brain is really just a way to make sure you're preserving the best of those you know, knowledge gems in a place that is not subject to your limits of your attention span, the limits of your memory, the limits of your, your bandwidth, the limits of your time, the, like all the limits of, you know, involved in being a human with technology, we can overcome all of those limits so that instead of being limited to whatever ideas we can think of right now or in the you know, past hour or the past few days, we are drawing on the sum total of our life experiences, the sum total of everything we've read, everything we've listened to, everything we've learned which is important for moving our projects forward, achieving our goals, creating new pieces of writing or other kinds of content, building a business, doing research, finishing your studies. You know, as we were saying before, we are all knowledge producers now. We are all content producers, not just those of us who have a blog or a podcast, right? Like, it's really funny. People will tell me they're not content creators and I'm like, really? How many emails per day do you send? Is that not content? How many presentations a year do you give? That's content. How many you know websites do you design or give feedback on or update? It's all it's all content. All digital information is content. Every remote job is just being a content creator or consumer. Exactly. Um, so exactly. Uh, I really like that that vision that you laid out there. Um, I, I think it's very important to think about a second brain. Um, in terms of its file management system. And I, I, it's one question that I have for you is like, what are, what are the uh, best practices for file management? Because it's one thing to have a second brain and it's another thing to have a second brain that you can look through and, and track over years and years and find things from the past. Um, and, and, you know, I know people who are very good about their, their file management and those people are incredibly productive. And there are people like my sister who just save everything to their desktop. And so uh, what, what tips, I guess, would you give my sister to really improve her ability to, to organize her digital world? Yeah, so this is so great because, yeah, it's funny. We all have someone in our lives who, when I say, okay, who's the organized one, right? There's usually one person in a family, at least one person on a team or in a, in a company, one person in the class. There's like that, that person, right? And... Usually, I think in the past, what, what was difficult, the reason there's relatively few people that are that organized type, is that person had to create their whole own organizational framework, right? Like custom create it from nothing. There, there weren't a lot of existing methods for how to do that. And so I spent years talking to people like that kind of person right? How do you organize it? And they all have a kind of their own take on how to organize their files, but there were some common principles. My book and my course is basically my attempt to extract the most common principles that many or most organized people tend to use just because of the way their mind naturally works, simplify them, right? Like bring it down to just a minimum viable level that anyone can do, even if their mind doesn't work that way. And then to teach it and disseminate that, you know, that knowledge through various means. So here's the funny thing though, is I'm not trying to turn everyone into people like your sister. I'm not trying to change the way that everyone's minds works to be more like that organized person. And in fact, 
that organized person often is too organized. <laughs> right? There, there's, there, we think, oh, like it would be so great to be organized, but there's actually some downsides. You can actually become too organized where your thinking is too rigid. You're too almost like OCD. That's the classic. Like too, things need to be too perfect, too clean. There's too much order, too many categories, right? So I'm actually kind of trying to bring both ends of that spectrum to the middle. Right? There's people that are a little too disorganized. Let's bring them just a few steps this way. And the people that are too organized, bring them a couple steps to the middle. There's a balance between order and chaos. A balance between productivity and creativity. A balance between you know what I call divergence, going out and finding new things, and convergence, turning them into something new. It's really about, like you can think of it as combining the two halves of your brain and meeting in the middle and using the best... Uh, the best, you know, skills of each side of the brain, the first brain and the second brain, to just find a, I think most of all, a sustainable way of doing this. It's got to be sustainable. You know, you can adopt a, a fancy, sophisticated approach to managing your files that might last a week or a month or six months, but the gains, the returns come after a year after two years, after a long time. So sustainability is everything. And the most important way to be sustainable, the, the most powerful way to be sustainable is to be easy, is to be simple. What is simple is sustainable. What is easy is sustainable. And I think people are often surprised how simple it can be. It really is not that complicated. It's just a few simple habits. So let's say you're working with someone who's you know, a relatively blank slate, not super opinionated about what to do. They just kind of recognize that I would benefit from getting organized, from having my creative work in the super, or not my creative work, having my content I've consumed in the super accessible way to assist my creative work. What are some of the kind of general prescriptions you'd use? And I recognize this as a snapshot in time and as new tools come available and new things become like just new possibilities emerge as things to encourage people to try based on, you know, you know, 20 years ago, you couldn't just send like emails to a task system, right? That wasn't an option back then. And now it's like, okay, that's just table stakes for any system now. Uh, so at this kind of snapshot in time, what are like the couple of essential pieces of anyone's digital system, uh, both from like a specific tools perspective and then from like a habits, behaviors, actions perspective? Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about, uh, code. Code is the, is the methodology that I teach. It's the, it's what I arrived at after, you know, a decade plus of doing this. Code stands for the four steps of the creative process, everyone's creative process, like the timeless universal creative process. And those letters are capture, organize, distill, and express. Okay, so basically information gets captured in some form outside your head, gets written down, gets saved, gets downloaded, gets shared, right? Then it gets organized. You need to add some kind of structure to, to, to that information. Otherwise, it's just kind of like strewn around. Then you need to distill, you need to boil it down to the most important parts, the takeaways, you know, the, the ways that that information is going to be used. And then finally, you, ex you want to express it, you want to share it, or use it or implement it or apply it in some way. Uh, you want to express that knowledge you gained in some way that is going to impact something or someone that matters to you. So let's give your listeners one thing to try for each of those. That's that's kind of a nice easy way to get started, right? So let's see here. Capture. Um, my number one recommendation for capture is going to be to automate it. Just automate it. This is one of the, as you were mentioning, one of the things that technology can now do for you. One of the few things. I use an app called Readwise. I don't know if you're familiar with Readwise. Very They're familiar. Awesome. Cool. You got a year cool. of it, I saw with uh if you take the if you take the course, that's a cool deal. That's right. It's become it's it's become the essential second brain companion app. Uh, it's such a no brainer for people to adopt that we now include it as part of the course. Uh, we give it uh, to people for free for a year, and it's basically yeah. So I think the 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 sort of pitch for it is if you read anything, like if you spend any time reading, that alone qualifies you as a as a kind of like elite content consumer. <laughs> Right, reading is becoming an endangered species. Uh, it's because it takes effort. It takes real effort to sit down and read anything of substance, whether I, like a book is you know the longest, but even just an article, an essay, a paper, an in-depth guide. Reading has become like a competitive advantage in the world. 
Um, and that's where Readwise focuses on. So basically think of it like a bridge. It connects two pieces of software that don't normally talk to each other and has them sync up, right? So it connects, let's say Amazon Kindle, where anytime you make a highlight in an Amazon Kindle book, that highlight will be automatically exported to your digital notes where you can change it and edit it and annotate it and all that stuff. Uh, it also connects to a Relater app like Instapaper, connects to all sorts of different you know, places where you might consume content. Um, that would be my, my number one recommendation for Capture is to just sign up for a service like Readwise and have technology do it for you. After we go through this list, I'm going to ask you if you've gotten access to the, the beta for their own reading experience because I don't know if I've talked to anyone who's made it to the other side of that, but I imagine you I have. haven't. I haven't. You haven't either? It's that competitive. No. It's that wow. hard. The funny thing too, though, is I very rarely use betas. I'm, I'm not a tech, like a tech early adopter. I like to use t an app or a new product when it's like five years old, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you explaining something pretty similar to that on like Chris Williamson's podcast that I thought was interesting. Uh, this was an older episode, but you're talking about why you like things because it's just like they, you know, deliver a new edition of a finished app every couple of years. So mm -hmm. your user experience while using it is consistent. You learn it, you use it. And then four years later, they release a ton of huge updates. Then you learn it and you use it. I don't know if, you know, if you've ever used a script or something for producing your video content, mm -hmm. uh, but that's what we use for editing these, these episodes. And every wow. single time I open it, it, there is an update that I have to manually do. And that like, it changes the keyboard shortcuts changes. Like there's just like wow. no sense of getting better at that tool over time. But that's just like an interesting, interesting note that kind of is consistent with uh, your readwise beta answer. Totally. Makes no, sense. no, I, I want to use stable, mature, proven platforms because as you just illustrated, this, this is such, such an integrated part of how I work and how I think. Imagine if you went to like, you know, cook a, cook an omelet, you know, in your first brain. Oh, wait, wait 20 minutes. We got to download an update update. There's been, there's been an update to the, uh, omelet creation, uh, you know, package, please hold on as we, as we sync, as we sync this, it would be insane, right? Things that are so integrated into your thinking have to be so fast, so predictable, so stable, um, that I prefer kind of more mature platforms. Yeah. It'd be like switching between electric and gas every single day. And then like you just burn your eggs every day because exactly. it's just never, you're just never calibrated. Exactly. It's a great metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. So should we move on to organize? We should. Yeah. So once you've started automating your capture, that frees up time, frees up some bandwidth because until, you know, platforms like Readwise came around, that was all manual. Take out your notebook, find the page, get a pen, write that stuff down, turn the page. It was very kind of full of friction. Um, and so what are you going to do with this extra bandwidth that's been freed up? I, my recommendation is to move forward your projects. Projects are like, for me, the, the unit of progress that is most important in modern knowledge work, right? Like we have all these, these, these kind of entities, right? There's goals, but goals are like way in the future, you know, a year from now might take years. Like that's too long-term for me to really think about concretely. We might have, you know, priorities or to do's or objectives. Like there's different ways of, of planning what you're going to do. But to me, the thing that is most powerful is like when you complete a project, it's like modern knowledge work is so fluid and ever changing. You never reach a, a stage of completion, right? Every app is just one update in an endless stream of updates. Every website is just the current version of the website. Nothing ever finishes. The one thing that finishes and gives you that feeling of, I did it. I achieved this. I can strike it off my list. The only thing is projects. It's the only thing that ever comes to an end. Um, and I think back to like when I, you know, in the past when I've done hiring, right, you, you, you see this resume, this resume is like the resume is the universal format for showing what you've done and what you know, and it's pretty useless, right? Like in the past, when I was sent a resume, you look at the resume and you just assume you have to assume it's all exaggerated. Right. It's all wildly overblown. This is how we're taught to make resumes, right? Like if you, you know, attended one meeting for a project, you're like, 
responsible for managing and realizing outcomes of major project and like you just you just like blow it up so out of proportion out of proportion that as a hiring manager i'm always like well what here is is provable right like like the proof of work what in this resume can they actually point link to a concrete thing and say i did that and here's how right that has become more important than than anything else on 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 resumes uh, and so all that to say, Para, which is my organizing approach, my organizing system, which is what I teach for that O for organize, is to, it, it just couldn't be simpler. It's mind-numbingly simple. It's create a folder or a tag or a notebook or whatever you call that category for each one of your current projects and put everything related to each of those projects in that one place. That's, that's basically Para. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And that one change, I promise it, it can have such a big impact because what do most people do is they have the content, the information related to a project spread out in a dozen places, right? So what does that mean? They sit down to get something done. They have, you know, an hour. They spend the first 30 minutes of that hour just trying to find all the little bits and pieces of the project, right? So 30 minutes have passed. Ah, you're finally ready to get things done, but oh, now I'm kind of tired and the coffee's worn off and I only have 30 minutes left, so I guess I can't really make progress. And then they just do that again and again and again, day after day after day. <laughs> That's organized. We got, we got two more to go here. We're making, making good progress. We got yeah. So of should we talk about well. distill? So, mm -hmm. Distill. Yes. <clears throat> so d distill is really just getting highlighting, like highlighting a book, like you probably did in school and kind of updating it for the modern world, right? In school, what would you highlight? What was going to be on the test, right? It was only at most a few months into the future and it had, it only had to do with what the teacher wanted, what would be on the test, what was needed to get the grade, to write the essay, to pass the final exam. And highlighting is actually amazing. Like think about how powerful highlighting is. You do it in the flow of the reading you're already doing anyway. That's the power, right? It's not, oh, you read it once and then go back and read and read it again and highlight. No, the, the nature of highlighting, it's so frictionless that as you're reading, it's like you have a highlight in your hand. You just highlight as you're reading that thing, even if it's just for the first time. It's so easy. Right? No, no one has to train you in how to highlight. There's no like, there's like no like advanced technical skill that's required. The one shift that's required though, is switching from highlighting for what's going to be on the test, because you know as professionals there's no test, there's no quiz, there's no one telling us oh write that down because it will be on the test. There's no semesters, so highlighting has to shift to be self-directed. It's got to be based on what resonates with you. And this is, this is a bit of a challenge because we're, this is something we are not taught in school. We're not taught to be intrinsically motivated to save ideas just because they're interesting to us, just because we find them surprising or valuable or moving, or they go against our current beliefs, right? And so that's what I teach in the course is how to listen to that. It's like the voice of intuition, that voice of intuition that says, oh, this idea, this quote, this takeaway is important. It's valuable. It's unusual. You got to learn to listen, train yourself to listen to that voice and take that opportunity to add a highlight, which in this case is a, is a digital highlight, which is way better than a paper highlight because it's searchable. It's copy and pasteable. It syncs across all your devices. That, that little highlight becomes like this evergreen, timeless nugget of wisdom that you can access and find anytime in the future. I think that kind of really encapsulates for me why a lot of people, when they find your content, are kind of so drawn to it immediately. Is because I think very few people have kind of sources of inspiration that romanticize intellectualism, right? Like people just like <laughs> don't encounter that very often. Yeah. But then they encounter a figure like you, or you know, I think David Prell also does a very excellent job of just like making it cool to kind of obsess over being smart and like yeah. the world of ideas and like that's valid. It's cool. And it's also practically useful. Like you both have all three of those pieces in your communications. I think like that kind of your explanation just of like highlighting just as simple as it is and as like trivial of a process 
kind of helped me connect the dots there and like what is it that makes people like drawn to this besides also the promise of you know very like the appeal to be less stressed more productive etc but like there's more than just that and i think that might be a piece of it so much more oh yeah that's a great observation i i really that is yeah there's this quote i think david allen said that the what is it like the i think he said the main the mundane is the gateway to the transcendent you know it's it's not like oh there's practical concrete things in the world but they're kind of trivial and don't matter and then there's these like transcendent big ideas to me it's all the same right like you might do something you know you might be washing dishes and just have a realization about like the nature of life you might be walking the dog and just have some like memory or some story that comes to mind or some realization you might be doing the most just little mundane things in life and have insights into the nature of these these very deep things mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. highlighting is a good example like it's just highlighting it's so it's so seemingly trivial but when i find a highlight from five years ago that reminds me you know of some big breakthrough that i had in my own learning that is so meaningful to me the past is meaningful you know, remembering my past, my stories, my experiences, meaningful. It's so inherently meaningful, but we just need like a memory enhancer because I don't know about you. I usually, without notes, I don't think about anything but like the past two days and the next two days, right? Like my horizon is so limited in time that I, I use notes to basically broaden my horizon and broaden my perspective. It's almost like building a second brain. Almost. <laughs> Almost. Um, no, I, I read this One thing. Um, Lewis, sounds important. Go ahead. It sounds important, yeah. Uh, it was what I was telling you about last night, Kyle. Uh, the kind of timely versus timeless paradigm, right? Like, I think that people who take the time to build these second brains and, you know, have these really externalized knowledge management systems, right? Because your natural tendency, even for you, who, spends a, who spent a decade on this, right? You, you wake up in the morning and your brain just yesterday's problems, today's problems, this minutiae. And it's like, but on the flip side, you know, these people have, everyone has, and creators especially, right, have this huge asymmetric upside from being able to remove yourself from like the noise of the day and like root yourself in deep truths and big ideas. And kind of these systems help you do that more often and more meaningfully. And which, you know, I have another question about that later, just about like why someone like you, what value you get out of Twitter, which is essentially like choosing to spend less time with timeless ideas and like cement deep truths but we can get into that later. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely what it is. A way of thinking about it is, you know, I, I, I kind of got into like self-help, self-improvement from a young age. I remember walking into the Borders bookstore. Back then there was still Borders near my home in Orange County, California, and picking up The Paradox of Choice was my, the first like self-improvement book. Very and I remember reading it. Yeah, exactly. And I remember being like, like the, the concept that you could improve yourself like on purpose just like blew my mind. This is, I was like, this is amazing. I can like use this knowledge to become a better person and make better decisions and all these things. But I, I you know, I, I kind of read all these books in that genre for a few years and I kept trying to change who I was, kept trying to change how my mind worked, right? Like hammer myself into a new person. You know, oh, I need to be smarter. I need to uh, be more rational. I need to, you know, not fall into these cognitive biases. I need to have better habits, like all these things. And I think there is some value to trying to change. There is some value in trying to shape who you are. But there's something about a second brain that is almost like, it's like a cognitive prosthetic where the whole point is to just let your brain work how your brain works, right? Like. You were born with a certain temperament, a certain personality, a certain set of lenses through which you saw the world. And those are valuable. Don't give those up in the name of becoming some idealized, perfected version mm. of yourself, right? All your spont spontaneity, all your originality, everything that makes your life unique and interesting comes from those weird idiosyncrasies that you have. So instead of like the last decade or so um, that I've been working on second brain stuff, it's more like, let me just be who I am and the areas that I'm weak or that I'm lack, that I lack something, just have my second brain fill in for me. It's kind of like a business partner. Like you guys probably have this between the two of you. Instead of like learning a whole skill set, just depend on your 
your business partner or life partner or spouse or friend or whoever is that person that's doing something with you and like fill in the blanks for each other. That's kind of how I feel with my, how I look at and, and relate to my second brain. It's really powerful. Um, I was going to say something sort of along those lines, which is what I, I read from Tim Ferriss and five bullet Friday. It might've been last Friday or Friday before, but it was about walking lightly through life. And like, uh, it made me think of it when you're talking about highlighting and, and you know, there's a mindset that you can be in where it's like, I need to do this correctly. And it's like, there is just no way to do it correctly. You have to walk, you have to read lightly. Uh, it just really resonated with me that passage about like, you know, nothing is serious and it's kind of like what you're saying, um, you know, those weird things about you make you, you, the reason that you chose to highlight that there doesn't need to be a reason and, and you can yeah. find that within yourself. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. If, um, it's really powerful. Yeah. And it's, it's like deprogramming because this is all the opposite of everything we are taught in school. Mm. Right. Like I, I'm reading this book right now called free to learn that I'm going to, I'm going to publish a summary of it on my blog but it's all about like the ultimate learning machines that we know of are kids, children, right? They learn at a pace that is absolutely just mind blowing, right? They learn, think of all the skills a kid learns in their first few years of life. And they do it without a curriculum, without some person standing over their shoulder, giving them grades, without you know, semesters and periods and all the structure of school. In fact, when we add all those things, their learning dramatically slows down. And as adults, we think we need all the structure and these rules and all this basically like, ex like external extrinsic motivation. When in fact, play, play is the ultimate mindset for learning play, which means to play, you have to choose what you do it has to be of your own free will. It has to be like dynamic and social, something like a give and take with others has to be completely self-directed. It has to be intuitive. It has to be just listening to your internal drives. So in many ways, what I try to do with the second brain, it's, it's like, we still need to pay the bills, right? There still needs to be a practical element. So I'm trying to fuse. If I'm going to, you know, do all these practical things and pay the bills and make money and have a career, at least let me do it in a way that is playful so that I can learn and progress at the maximum pace while also, of course, having a ton of fun. That's I'm great. excited to read the full notes when uh, you've distilled your thoughts and published it. Yes. Let's, uh, let's uh, hit express. Exciting then... pitch. Yeah. Do some uh, rapid fires. Yes, sir. Yeah. So express <clears throat> is the hardest to kind of give someone a formula, right? Because as you go down the steps of the creative process, the early stages are very uniform and kind of predictable. That's why capture can be almost completely automated. But as you go further down the lines, people start to diverge, right? People start to go in very different directions. So, you know, expression for a, a writer will look different from expression for a musician or a dancer or a photographer or a software developer. Like it starts to take very different forms. But what I would say to this is just, First of all, to make things, right? I think the, this idea that we are creators, that we're makers is going to go much further, right? Like, like there's a, still a lot of people in society who think they can't make things or don't know how to make things or have never made something, which I think is just incorrect. And I think there's this awakening that we are makers, that being a creator is not a job or a profession. It is what it means to be human, you know? My definition for creating, which I got from this book called The Artisan Soul, is to bring something true, good, or beautiful into the world. If you, if you have brought or will ever bring something true or good or beautiful into the world, you're a creator. And it's one of the most just fulfilling, gratifying things you can do. It, it introduces you to new people and to new communities. It shows you that you add value. And of course, there's almost nothing better for your career or your job or your business than to not just like complete tasks, but to make something, a new initiative, a new event, a new fundraising strategy, a new way of thinking about your, you know, your, your industry. Um, and the one thing I'll add here is when you go to make things, don't start from a blank slate, which is the most terrifying thing there is, is to open up a blank page and just 
make something up, go into your second brain and just look for what's there. You know, it's like Legos. What do you do with Legos? You dump them out on the ground and you just like go like this with your hands and just like kind of sort through them and put them in piles and like take one piece and turn it over, throw it away. Like it's this mix and match process. And sometimes based on the pieces that you find, you might create something completely different than what you expected. Right? It's like what you were, it's like what you're saying, Kyle, like hold it loosely. Maybe you think X is going to be your big project breakthrough, but look at what's there, what's resonated with you in the past. And they might suggest to you a completely different direction than you ever predicted and follow that that signal, follow that kind of curiosity, even if it leads to places that you don't expect, would be my, my recommendation. It reminds me of Paul Graham's essay. I think it's a meta essay on essays. And it's about how, um, while you're writing the essay, that's when you write the essay, or that's when all the ideas that end up being in the essay uh, come to your head. It's like you have this idea beforehand and then you start writing and then that's when it actually, you know, you realize you're wrong and, and it changes. Um, and so that's just the creative process. Exactly. Yeah. It's like learning to ride a bike. <clears throat> if you're, if you want to learn how to ride a bike, how much time should you spend studying books and theory before you get on the bike? Practically none, right? <laughs> like, Maybe just watch someone ride a bike and they'll tell you stuff like, oh, do this and do that. But you can't absorb any of that. You can't, you can't know anything practically about how to ride a bike until the moment you step on that bike and you start doing. And from that moment, you're, you will start learning at a body level, deep in your muscle memory, what it means to balance, what it means to move forward, what it means to pedal. And I think more skills are like that than we expect. They're actually, you're actually not learning until you, until you try, until you put it into action. I think we'll ask a few rapid fire questions here. Uh, it's up to you how rapid rapid means, of course. Uh, <laughs> one question is, is there anything that you have the same level of obsession, passion, interest that is a digital productivity as digital productivity? So anything that's like on par with that as an interest, passion, obsession? Yeah, I have a few, um, science fiction is one pretty obsessed with science fiction, which is kind of related. <laughs> um, I also really, really love history, history, which to me is just the opposite. Science fiction is about the, uh, the fictional future. I love also the past, right? I think history is one of the great, great, almost untapped reservoirs of wisdom. Um, there's just, everything has already happened. Everything has already happened like a hundred times. <laughs> and I just learned so much from it, both like history, history and historical fiction. I love like, uh, like James Mishner is probably my favorite writer where he goes and he tells you like the history of a country, like the thousand year history of a country. You know, he's done Mexico, Poland, Alaska, South Africa, Israel, but he makes up characters. He does a ton of historical research. So it's all like pretty accurate as far as we know, but they come alive with the stories of these characters. And I just feel such more of a connection to these places from those fictional stories than just reading, you know, dry facts. Um, so that's another one. Uh, I play the piano, really love music. I've always loved the piano. Uh, I love traveling. I've lived in a bunch of different countries, different cities in different parts of the world and just like everything that goes with that, learning new languages, exploring new cultures, food, music, um, you know, the history of that place, all those things really fascinate me. Uh, yeah, those are some of my, my obsessions. <laughs> What's one place that I, I'm going to travel this summer. Uh, I've got some time in between my job and, and school. What's one place that you recommend that I have to go? Oh gosh. What is the most underappreciated? I mean, I would have said one of the countries I've lived in is Ukraine. So I would normally say Ukraine, although that's not really a great option these days, unfortunately. Sadly. Um, I really like out of the way places, places like you can go to Italy and you can go to France and like, of course, they're just absolutely amazing, but everyone knows they're amazing. So the most you can do is just have exactly the experience you expect. <laughs> Um, but I like going to places like Colombia or like, um, let's see where else like Portugal, 
is really an underrated European country. Um, Africa, you know, I've, I've been to Ethiopia, I spent a good amount of time in Ethiopia. And it's like when you go to these places that are not, you know, tourist hotspots, your expectations are low. And so every great thing that happens or really cool thing you see or great person you meet is just like, just so exceeds what you expected that paradoxically I find my, it's like my memories of those places are better than like going to Paris or London or these kind of places. I don't know. I don't know if that's just me. <laughs> yeah, that's a great answer. Um, my next question is sort of like Lewis's question, um, but it's a little more meta. You know, the point of productivity is hard to define. Getting things done um, is obviously good for your career, but it's like, is that a good goal in itself? Um, you know, people like to free up their time. What do you like to do with the time that you've freed up from being so productive? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, everything else. Everything else. Yeah. It's like, it's funny, people like to attack productivity or criticize it. Oh, you know, we're not supposed to be like machines, you know don't be productive, be creative, or these sort of like one-liners, like zingers, you know? And I'm just like, wait a minute. To me, productivity is basically efficiency, right? What is efficiency? Efficiency is minimizing waste. That's all it is, right? Minimizing waste. In the case of personal productivity, like for knowledge work, what is waste? It's wasted time. That's, that's the definition. You're minimizing the waste of time is what productivity is to me. And it almost in a funny way doesn't matter. I don't feel this need to like, oh, I saved X minutes, now I need to apply it to this other very highly, you know, high ROI activity. I finish my workday every day around two. Two o'clock is like usually the end of my workday. And then I just wander around our backyard. I run errands, I spend time with my son. I go on walks with my dog every day. And my, and my son, well, there's a dog park nearby, so I take my wife, my son, and my dog. We all go to the dog park together almost every day. And to me, that is, that is absolutely priceless. There's, there's no higher use of my time than to just stroll over to the park and just like talk about our day and see what new word my son has learned and to yell at the dog because she's a puppy, so she's always getting into things like... That's, that's again, these mundane little moments of life to me are some of the most valuable with family, with people I love. And I feel like I have, I work like half days most days and still get a lot done because I'm, I'm every single minute is intentional. Every single minute is part of a system. It's part of a routine that I've created. It's never just ad hoc. It's never just me phoning it in and, you know, trying to hit a certain number of hours. And I just feel like that's possible for everyone. We all have waste. Everyone has waste in their day. You know, minutes or even hours they've spent that were not necessary, just not needed. Like had no purpose, had no impact. They can be cut out. I think the average person can cut out one, two, three hours a day through all these systems and methodologies and tools that we teach about. Uh, and I think you have to if you want to have a fulfilling career and a fulfilling life. I think that's probably about as good of a succinct definition of why pursue productivity and what does it mean to that you can get. So we should, uh, we should clip that and make it its own little unit of information. Love it. Uh, Love it. Yeah. Uh, distill it. <laughs> mm -hmm, exactly. One or two more questions for you here and then, uh, we'll sign off, but, uh, listen again, to Chris Williamson podcast. What I found interesting about that was at a couple points, you talked about different courses you were taking. And I think that's kind of like an ongoing I call it like a consistent pattern we see among kind of these really interesting people is, you know, they're continuing, you know, you're not just someone saying here, buy my course, but you also go out and buy a ton of other people's courses and continue learning and educating yourself. So I'm curious, you know, back then you're talking about like a MailChimp course and you know, it was a while ago. I'm curious if you've been buying and taking other courses as well recently. And if so, like maybe shouting one or two really useful ones out to everyone. Oh yeah. I, it's, it's amazing to me. Like when I look back, and my career and my business growth, I can pretty much trace back every significant breakthrough, every significant like leveling up to some kind of course or program. It's like, it's just amazing to me that we live in this world. Like if you, if you want, want to like break through your existing limiting beliefs and psychology right now, you can go do that on purpose. You know, some of those have been Vipassana, doing a Vipassana 10 day retreat, which is really a course. 
It's a course where your own internal experience is the instructor, right? That was a huge breakthrough for me when I did the Landmark Forum, which is this kind of like three-day, like transformational group program, you know, three days, huge breakthrough in my life. Uh, when I did um, a couple different programs from a mentor and friend of mine, his name is Joe Hudson. I've talked a lot about him, published several pieces on my blog, telling the story of his courses, which were just the past few years, huge breakthroughs. He's basically an executive coach, right? Having a powerful coach can completely change the trajectory of your life. Uh, most recently, let's see, I did Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within Virtual, the, virt the online version of his, you know, his big event, which was also like three days. That was huge. Uh, and the most recent one, I think, was Nick Milo's uh, Linking Your Thinking course, which is fantastic. It's the, I think the first course that I've taken on the subject that I teach about, which is PKM, Personal Knowledge Management, and he has such a fascinating kind of alternative take on it from me um, that I've, I've just learned so much from stepping from the role of instructor into the role of student, which is so gratifying to not be responsible for this whole thing, but to just be able to show up and learn was so refreshing. Um, and I really just came into his program with an open mind and, and learned so much. Uh, just different ways of seeing PKM that I had never thought, like there's specific pitfalls when you are quote unquote an expert, right? It's like expert blindness. When you think you know something, you are in very dangerous territory because suddenly you stop learning, you become more closed-minded, you think you have it figured out, you lose your curiosity about it. And um, that is the thing that I wanna, I wanna protect against in my own thinking. And so linking your thinking is just a fantastic course that basically teaches PKM specifically for this new generation of note-taking apps like Obsidian and Rome that are more modern, more about the, the, the network, the graph, linking notes together. They're very linking-centric. Um, so I'd recommend it. I'd recommend checking out my course. And if it doesn't resonate with you, check out his course as a kind of like alternative. Well, I think I'm glad there was uh, way more to that question than I was hoping for, but I picked up on there'd be some pattern there. Uh, I'm out of questions, Kyle. If you want one quick one, otherwise we can sign Only one question comes to mind. Um, I don't know if you know. Do you know who Eric Jorgensen is? The uh, author? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he says that uh, a sandwich is a carb and then a protein and then a carb. And mm -hmm. to me, that means that a, a, a taco is a, car, is, a taco is a sandwich or a sub is not a sandwich. What do you think about that? <laughs> oh my gosh. This is like, uh, this is the true, it's like, where, where would you categorize the taco and the sub sandwich in a knowledge management system, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what, what is the essential nature of the taco? Um, let's see, what do I think about this? Um, I, I can't say I have an opinion on that very specific question. Uh, just that tacos are better. Way better. <laughs> I totally agree. Um, well, we really appreciate Not everything you. needs a perfect category. Exactly. What's that? So not everything needs a perfect category. Yeah. Yeah. No, th there's this funny, like, speaking of history, like Aristotle wrote about this. He tried to categorize the whole world into categories, and he basically failed. He was unable to do it. And, like, every hundred years, there's a new philosopher that tries to do it. And I'm like... That's kind of a futile effort. It's better to just enjoy things, enjoy the taco and the sandwich. Don't worry too much about, you know, the, the true essential definition of what they are. <laughs> well, this has been very, very fun. Uh, leave a quick moment here for you to, any parting things you'd like to say, anything you'd like to promote, any where you want to direct people's attention, anything like that. Yeah, I would just, uh, if anything that I've said resonates, check out our website, which is buildingasecondbrain.com, which has links to the book, which is like the most distilled, succinct version of this whole philosophy. We also teach an online course that takes place twice a year. And of course, on my blog, uh, which you can find at fortelabs.co.co forward slash blog, you'll find hundreds and hundreds of mostly free articles on many, many topics that we've discussed and many that we haven't. So I'm really just here to serve people. I'm here to serve them in whatever way they need, at whatever, in whatever format, at whatever price, in whatever level of engagement they are willing to commit to because 
I just know, I, I just know that these are life-changing ideas. And the only bottleneck is your willingness to consider them, your willingness to take them on and, and, and to try them in your own life. So I honor, I honor that desire. Well, thank you so much, Tiago. We've been huge learners of a ton from all of those resources ourselves over the years. So thank you for coming on, sharing your time with us today, including us in the schedule. I appreciate it a ton. Yeah, this is so fun. Thanks for doing it. I, I really appreciate it, guys. And that wraps up this episode with Tiago Forte. Couple takeaways from me. First one is I like the metaphor of a second brain being like Legos. So when you're trying to create in an environment when you don't have a second brain, metaphorically, you don't have some intentional system where you take your ideas and externalize them and organize them and kind of just, again, there's a system for your thinking that's bigger than your head. That's like starting to create from a blank slate. That's just saying, looking at, you know, whether it's a text editor and you're writing computer code, whether it's just a word processor and you're trying to write an essay, you start with a blank page. But when you have some intentional second brain system, whether it's fully complex, like the one that Tiago teaches about, or if it's just something you know, more rudimentary, like a notebook. Uh, when you start with that, it's like starting with Legos. Then you just dump the pieces out, review all the things you've created and organized and aggregated for yourself and find ways to combine them. So I thought that was a really profound way to like understand this and get excited about it. I like the definition of productivity. This is number two of minimizing waste. I think I spent a lot of time in my life kind of obsessing over the idea of productivity without necessarily having like a super concise way to explain it to someone. I'm like, a few seconds, why I care about it. And maybe at the core, I had some inherent understanding, like, you know, I just want to have more time to do more things that I like doing. Uh, but the idea of minimizing wasted effort, just being the objective, succinct way to describe it, I think will help a lot of people communicate why they care about these things to other people who don't quite get it. And then finally, I'd say third takeaway is the fact, this is something I brought up briefly on air that, you know, when I was bringing up David Perel and Tiago talking about how they, as figures, have helped so many people become comfortable with the intellectual idea of like, or the romantic idea of being an intellectual. Uh, that sounds really woo-woo and fluffy, but these are people who people are seeing, you know, they gain a social status on a website like Twitter for being extremely smart. And I think that that's a really constructive force in society where a lot of other non-constructive things have been a way to garner status and build a career instead of just like, I'm smart for the sake of being smart. I enjoy learning for the sake of learning. And that's what's made me a popular figure. And I think that's why people are gravitated towards them. And I think that's why I get so excited about the opportunity to engage with them because I really admire the, the effect that they're having on society. Uh, final notes from me. That's all I have to say about the episode. Special thanks to our sponsor, Espresso Displays. I was just traveling for four weeks. It was chaos, but it was less chaotic because it had an espresso display, portable second monitor, super, super thin. Check them out. There's a link in the show notes to explore what that is in detail. But imagine working with just your laptop or working with two screens. You can see how two screens would be better than that, but it's really hard to take a monitor with you. Otherwise, that's literally all I'm going to say for this episode. You know what to do. If you want to hear more of the episodes, you subscribe. This is a podcast. All podcasts work that way. If you hit the subscribe button, you will know about the next one. And if you want to find myself or Kyle, I'd be very surprised if you couldn't figure out how to do it. So say hi to us if you have something to say. Otherwise, we'll see you when the next episode comes out in roughly one week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.